0: Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During this edition of the show, we give you access to local physicians and public health experts with information on COVID-19 and recommendations related to it. If you have a question for our guests, please email it to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181.
1: Good morning. It is Wednesday, another Doc of the Rock vaccine clinics happening frequently in Kodiak. We'll talk about that. New tiers opening up. As a community, we're officially down to the green level and actually had a couple of days with no new cases reported during the last week. Although we bounced back up to seven yesterday, things appear to be headed towards somewhat normal, but how close are we to getting back to normal, or is that ever going to happen? Uh, What's new on the local medical front, we'll talk about some of the new developments locally. And as always, if you have questions, call 486-3181 or email lowdown at kmxt.org. I'll monitor that and try and get your question answered before the end of the show. Today, again, in the studio on the video screen, we have Dr. Evan Jones from Canna. Dr. Shana Theobold from the Kodiak Ambulatory Care Clinic and Dr. Curtis Mortensen from the Kodiak Community Health Center. Dr. Smith might pop in on the meeting here after he gets uh, done with some work this morning. So, uh, again, thank you all for showing up this morning. Uh, let's talk first about... Uh, about vaccine clinics because they are, have been seemingly blossoming throughout our community. There seems to be one happening once or twice a week, another two coming up, I believe this week, if not three. Uh, so how are things going?
0: Yeah, I'll, um, I'll start off and I'm sure people can chime in, but um, yeah, I actually spoke with um, Jason Bishop, who's kind of uh, sort of headlining the um, okay. local efforts from the public health uh, the statewide department on this, but, um, there's basically, um, several options, but I think the big, the big news, and I'm not sure how much you guys talked about this last week is just the eligibility criteria has obviously opened, um, over the past two weeks. Um, and so I think that that's, um, something maybe we can save to, to after this, but, um, I can tell you that at the community health center over the next two days, Um, We're doing vaccine clinics Thursday and Friday here. We have 78 spots each day. Uh, Those will be done here at the clinic, actually in a room in the hospital that's a bigger room. Um, And so uh, there's plenty of availability left in that. Uh, We are basically um, following the state uh, criteria for whether people are eligible. We can talk about that maybe, like I said, at the end. Um, Additionally, Walmart has received 400 doses of the vaccine. Um, And theirs is from the federal, a federal supply. So it's outside of the state supply. They are still following the statewide eligibility requirements though. And so um, I should should go back to actually, so for our clinic, you can get on the website, the state's website, and you can see that our clinic is listed, but you have to call the number. There's no uh, online scheduling of those appointments. With Walmart, if you go on the state website, there actually is, it'll direct you to an online way to register for your appointment at Walmart. Okay. Um, And so Walmart is uh, open for business as far as giving vaccines. I'm not sure how many they're doing a day, but I know that they have 400 vaccines total. Um, Additionally, yesterday, the um, EOC and the Alaska State Department of Health released a thing they're going to be doing a vaccine clinic on Friday, which is for giving second doses because they did a vaccine clinic three weeks prior. So they're gonna be giving second doses on Friday, but on Saturday, they have a clinic down at the Harbor Master Office, uh, downtown on Marine Way. And it's gonna be open from nine o'clock until 3.30. And uh, they have 300 available slots uh, to give vaccine. And uh, you can go online again, we'll have to get to that state website thing. But if you look up under vaccines available in Kodiak, it'll be listed. Uh, Their name is funny. Let me look and see really quick. I had it up here. Um, So they are listed as like the Kodiak Pod is what they're listed as, the Kodiak COVID-19 Vaccine Pod Clinic. And if you click on that, then there's a way to sign up online uh, for an appointment. Um, They would prefer if you actually do sign up so they know how much vaccine they're gonna be giving. Um, And uh, there's also a number uh, a number attached to this, where if you don't feel comfortable with online sign up, you can actually call a number and leave a message. And so um, anyways, those are sort of three uh, ways in which uh, the vaccine is available over the next few days um, pretty rapidly. I will have even and Shanna chime in on, on their side.
2: So at Kanna, we're continuing to do vaccine clinics on Tuesday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, you can sign up for those by going to www.pictime, one word, com canna, uh, and there's going to be a sign up area there. Uh, like he already said, say, I, I just saw the pharmacist leaving the hospital this morning with what I'm guessing were uh, vaccines headed towards Safeway. And so I think you could also get vaccinated at Safeway, uh, probably starting today, but I imagine they have a sign up list that is going right now. And so there's a lot of, we also have the, uh, the VA administration, the Veterans Administration is doing a vaccine clinic tomorrow um, at Canna, at the, the main Canna building. Uh, you had to already sign up for it by this point. Um, but those of you who did sign up, don't forget that tomorrow's the day for the VA uh, clinic. And so in the past week or so, we've, we've expanded the number of people we've gotten vaccinated by, it, it's probably been close to 500 to even a, a thousand people co- capacity in the past two weeks. Uh, I don't know how many have actually gotten vaccinated maybe uh, Curtis or Shanna has a better number on how many we've actually given. But the number of possibilities where people can get it has gone up tremendously.
1: Shanna, how, how about the clinic, your clinic?
3: Yeah, so we're going to have a drive through on February 27th and that's for the second doses. And then, if people are due for second doses, you know, before then, just call the clinic to make an appointment. We're giving those, you know, individually, roll, kind of on a rolling timeline. And um, I think tomorrow they're meeting to talk about, you know, the allocation of the next batch. Um, yeah. So.
1: So what are yeah. the what are the eligibility criteria now? And if you're not in that group, um, you know, is it still where you're going to sign up and maybe get called?
0: Well, I think that probably everybody's doing it a little bit differently. I think we're, we're keeping a wait list like people call and they're not eligible, but they want to be like on our wait list. That's what we're doing. And right now, actually, we're working through the wait list we had. We're still working through the wait list we had from the last time when when people were, um, you know, not eligible. So this is like almost two weeks ago. We had something like 400 people on a wait list. So we were calling them, you know, calling through that wait list. Um, so what I would say is um, just going through kind of the eligibility criteria, the state of Alaska's website is excellent on this regard. It, um, and if you, if you need it, it's called it's, uh, COVIDvax, C-O-V-I-D-V-A-X, dot Alaska, dot gov. And um, it has all the eligibility criteria, and then it has a little link that says you can take an eligibility quiz. I would really highly recommend people. The, the fact is none of these clinics are going to be like, um, you know, doing background checks on you, you know, but so it's, it is an honor system, there's no doubt about it. But if you call the clinic, we we will ask you say like, well, what, you know, how do you meet eligibility? So if you've done the eligibility quiz or you know what your criteria are, it's like I'm a, I'm a teacher at the school, then we're not gonna check with the school district to make sure that's what you are, but we'll we'll. it's helpful if you know why you're eligible when you call. Um, and uh, so I, I think that um, just to cover The eligibility criteria, obviously 65 and above that's been eligible for a while. The new ones are um, age 50 with a high-risk medical condition. And so people are like, well, what's a high-risk medical condition? Well, I can list them out, but if you go to the state of Alaska website, it will have them right there for you. Cancer, chronic kidney disease, COPD, Down syndrome, heart conditions, there's there's several more. Smoking, smoking is not a, we don't like to encourage people to smoke but if you're a smoker, then you will be eligible uh, for the vaccine. Um, so anyways, if you greater than 50 with one of these high risk medical conditions is, is uh, a, a newer eligibility criteria. Also age 15 above that works as an essential worker. Um, and this is one where, man, you know, I, I would just go to the list because there's a huge list of jobs that people could have. Um, and some people might not realize that their job is an essential uh, a job. And so I think that it's important to really uh, look at the list. Uh, Pre-K through 12, child, uh, either childcare or educational staff. So that's where the school district, preschools, things like that would be eligible. Um, pretty much all healthcare workers are eligible, which is kind of, uh, I think most people know that. Congregate working and living situations. So these are like group homes. Um, you know, the Brother Francis shelter would be a good example. Women's Resource Center would be a good example. Like these are congregate living situations, uh, the prisons. Um, all of those would be eligible for the vaccine. Um, and one thing that I would say in regards to the healthcare worker and congregate living situations, um, the state's been pretty clear on this, but people that take care of an elderly relative. Like, let's say you have, uh, you know, an elderly relative that you take care of, you're their primary caretaker, you would actually qualify for the vaccine under that, even if you're not paid for that position, if you're just doing that, um, it would be recommended that you get the vaccine. So, really, um, you know, there are some, there definitely are still some stipulations, but it's, there's a lot of people eligible, and I don't know that everybody knows what they are.
1: Is our supply going to be sufficient three weeks from now? to match, to give people a second dose if we go through the whole, I mean, it sounds like we have a lot of vaccine available in the community. Do we have enough population to be able to use that all up? And then are we going to have enough vaccine to give them a second shot?
0: Most of the vaccines were uh, that we have to be distributed, there's a second dose that's kind of ready or it's kind of promised to us for it. So I'm not so much worried about the second dose. Um, You know, I think that if everybody who was eligible all of a sudden came forward and said, hey, we want this, I think we would um, be probably uh, maxing out a bit. Um, I I don't think that we probably have enough vaccine for everybody. But um, I will say that the, the, the uptake of this, the flood that I expected from this new tier being released has not been as great as I expected it to be. And so that makes me think that either people are A, either leery of the vaccine and need more education or to talk more about it, or B, uh, they don't know they're eligible. And so that's why I think spending a lot of time talking about there's lots of people eligible that I don't think know they are. And so um, I, I, it would be a great problem to have if we didn't have enough vaccine because we have a, a lot of vaccine on the island and that would be an awesome problem to have if, if we ran out.
1: So are you seeing a flood? I mean, I know when the Kohler clinics, the drive through clinics opened, there was, a, you know, there were lines for days. There were people really excited about it, people getting in line, trying to wonder whether they can get in line. Now as we have more clinics, are we seeing the demand start to decrease, or are you still seeing a, a flood of people wanting to sign up?
2: we're still able to fill all of our slots at this point. And like KCHE, we have a, a call list for people who aren't necessarily qualified at this point, um, but are on the call list and we'll call them in for any vaccines that have been pulled out of the freezer that we need to use up. And so we're, we're still seeing good demand for it. I, I don't know when we're going to reach uh, saturation with the number of people who actually want to get the vaccine. Um, but i i don't feel like we're there yet i think now that safeway and it sounded like maybe even walmart is starting to get vaccines we, we may start reaching the point where everyone who wants to get it is going to have it
1: Shannon, are you seeing demand there you,
3: yeah there? yeah our demand out um exceeds the supply that we have we've been just you know referring patients to walmart or other clinics that have it at this point Um, But, yeah, I hope I – to me it seems like there's a lot of demand, but I don't know, you know, the whole island stats.
1: So the the last drive-in clinic, it it seemed like you uh, opened it up a little bit. um, Yeah,
3: so there were extra doses available, and so it did – it got opened up, and unfortunately it got opened up in such a way that there was some confusion around the eligibility at that time you know, we were going down to the next tier that's open now, but wasn't open at that time. And uh, that caused some confusion and I think, yeah, unfortunately kind of um, made it so that right now we don't, we didn't get as many of the batch of the vaccines. Um, But I hope, yeah, I hope that we can, you know, together as a Kodiak Island, just stick together, follow the state uh, guidelines, get everyone vaccinated as, as, it's needed and or as, as people are eligible.
1: So, Dr. Jones, is, is the, the VA clinic now, uh, it, are you working in conjunction with Canna? I mean, how did that come about? I, I thought last time we talked, Canna was pretty much taking care of the VA population and you had a special pool of vaccine for the VA, re, for the vets that were eligible to get it which I think at that time was everybody. So now we have another VA clinic. Um, why why is that happening?
2: So this is the VA clinic that was planned that you had to call ahead of time and sign up for. Um, you had to sign up ahead of time because it is the Veterans Administration that is going to be sending the vaccines down. It's not coming from the Kodiak stockpile. It's actually coming from a different source. And so it's just one more avenue for getting more people vaccinated. And as far as I can tell, the VA was willing to vaccinate anybody who is VA connected. You have to be actively uh, connected with the Veterans Administration. Uh, So some people qualify for the VA, but they have not, you know, worked out all the paperwork yet, and they would not qualify for this. But because they're bringing it down from Anchorage, we had to have them signed up. I, th- I think it was Monday was the last you could sign up for it.
1: So if somebody didn't sign up for that though they can still come into cana and, uh, and apply under that other uh, the other pot that you have available right?
2: Well, I uh, we'd prefer that if they're signed up for this, obviously that they take this allotment so that it doesn't draw from, you know, the other other places in town where you can get it because this is a completely separate source. But if you miss the deadline for signing up for the VA, you certainly can sign up, uh, through, through Canna uh, to get the vaccine still may just be a longer wait.
1: So i when when is the next distribution decision being made? Then as to wh- what our March allocation is going to be.
0: There's a there's meetings every week, um, and I, I believe there's I can't remember which day this week it is, but there is uh, community wide meetings every week uh, regarding that. Um, the um, I, I do want to come back to just the fact of like um, you know if if people. Like I I spoke with the group that the EOC group that's doing the vaccine clinic on Saturday with 300 available doses and like I said we're going to be doing trying to do 78 doses each of the next two days Thursday and Friday and both of us neither one of us is even close to being full so there's a lot of availability for in in the next three days there are 500 doses of vaccine available and less less than a quarter of that has been filled so just be aware that if, if people are on this call and, and they, they want to get the vaccine, they're eligible to either uh, sign up for the uh, pod uh, for, for the EOC um, clinic on, on Saturday or to sign call, call KCHC, because um, there's plenty, plenty of availability of vaccine. It's getting people in to get it. So um, just wanted to put that plug out there once again.
1: Well, how successful are we getting towards getting the 50 year old group, you know, I mean, what is the projection for when we eventually can get to the 40 year olds, the 30 year olds and the 20 year olds?
0: I don't know that there's projections, but yeah, that this is what leads me to kind of believe that either we're close to that or uh, people don't know uh, who's eligible. I I think that that's the, the thing we're really, I know that, um, know there's been a lot of people vaccinated i don't think we really know everybody who's been vaccinated at this point i think that we're um, i'm hoping to get a little bit more information on that on the weekly call this week but um, i certainly don't think we're saturated in this group yet but i don't know why there hasn't been quite the same rush as there was with the 65 and older crowd
1: well let's uh Let's switch topics here for a little bit. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the variants. You know, the this new the new UK variant that's causing a lot of consternation. Uh, can can you talk a little bit more about what we know about it now?
3: Yeah, so I was listening to Dr. Osterholm's the last two podcasts, which you know he produces them weekly. I highly recommend them. He has excellent information, really well researched. Um, his concern is that we have a big surge coming. You know, it's it's growing now. The number of the UK variant B one one seven cases are doubling every seven to ten days, and it quickly became the dominant strain in the UK. Denmark, Israel, a lot of countries. Israel shut its borders a few weeks ago due to the B117 variant. And so, unfortunately, we are definitely not out of the woods yet. And and his concern is that this is he thinks the next surge is going to be the equivalent of a category 5 hurricane, which obviously none of us want to give bad news. He has said, you know, he gets so many emails asking why He's always the bearer of bad news, but he said, you know, I can't sleep at night. I can't, I have to make sure I get this information out there, and I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I wasn't being completely honest and forthright with, you know, with all the signs of, the signs from science are there as far as kind of what we're looking at with this B117 strain. It's 50 to 70 percent more contagious, Um, it quickly kind of spreads to the community, and we're not necessarily, we're not genotyping all of the virus so far, but last week there were 500 cases identified in the U.S., and then as of last night there were 1,277 cases of the B117 variant. So you can see it's, it is quickly growing, and um, it's, the va- it is sensitive to the vaccine. So far the vaccine prevents, you know, has shown to be preventive of the new strains that we know the Pfizer and the BioNTech, or the Pfizer and the Moderna, mRNA vaccines, um, which is good news, but we're not probably going to get enough people vaccinated as this virus, or or as the strain is kind of rapidly spreading. It's in 33 states now, and just a couple weeks ago, it was in just a handful of states. So you can kind of see what Dr. Osterholm is talking about.
1: The numbers through the United States, though, appear to be on a fairly steep decline, and the numbers in Alaska sure are in a steep decline, so that's kind of leaves us to drop our guards a little bit right
3: that's ex- that's exactly right and that's exactly what he's saying you know we're we are on that downward trend our case numbers per day are still higher than the peak in july so our baseline isn't really great at this point and his concern is that we might be kind of at the bottom of this trough you know just seeing the signs and kind of seeing what's happening out there and what happened in many other countries you know we kind of have like a a blueprint to look at to see what happened and Denmark had almost no cases and all of a sudden the B117 B.1.1.7 uh, variant came along and just has skyrocketed their cases. Same thing with Israel. I mean, they hadn't shut their borders the entire pandemic and this caused them to really have to lock down again. So um, we, the numbers are decreasing, which is excellent. A lot of states, including Alaska, California are looking at opening up. Public health officials are, you know, we're kind of really all excited about How well we've done in flattening the curve Um, but unfortunately this B117 really is a game-changer as far as uh, what could happen next and Dr. Ulsterholm always says I hope I'm wrong and he said that before the March surge before the summer surge before the winter you know the December um, surge but unfortunately I think he's been right and he's pretty convinced that the signs are I mean, it's kind of like, you know, how scientists predict the hurricane or an earthquake or volcano eruption. You see the signs and you give your best prediction based on the data and um, hope you're wrong. But, yeah.
1: Are these variants things that cause you doctors to have concern? Do you have more concern than just the fact that the COVID is in, in the community?
2: So there's multiple variants that are starting to show up in the U.S. I mean, we've kind of focused on the one coming out of Great Britain. The South African strain has shown up on the East Coast now. We've decided to give these kind of numbers. The the B117 is the British variant. And the B1351 is the is the South African uh, variant, and they are a little bit different. Uh, the the British uh, version seems to be highly transmissible probably a little deadlier than the, um, than the wild type one that we originally saw. The tough part about the South African strain is um, we're still not exactly sure how people who are immunized react to it. We are hoping and guessing that it's uh, fairly good. The preliminary reports out of South Africa seem to show that people who were previously actually infected with covid uh, don't have significant resistance to this new strain, and so they get reinfected with this new South African strain. Um, it, it's uh, with the immunization, we're introducing a very specific protein that we're asking our body to have an to have an immune reaction to. When we have the when we're infected with the wild type, our body kind of selects the protein, and it may not be and it may be one that changes uh, in these variants. And so it's it's difficult to assess uh, how immune you're gonna be from the uh, an infection as compared to the uh, immunization itself. This may be a case where the immunization is more effective than actually getting infected by the wild type virus for preventing disease. Um, so we're still, so much stuff that we're looking at trying to figure out what's it going to pan out at. Um, the, the truth of the matter is we're, we're watching carefully and, and it None of this stuff makes me super anxious. I think we're all just prepared for it, preparing mentally for it. Um, I, I, I think no matter what comes, we're just going to continue to watch and, and observe and learn from it and figure out how we can best treat these diseases. I think
0: I don't want to uh, certainly sound like a broken record, although uh, I, I've certainly been accused of such. But um, you know, as a local community, um And as a statewide community, uh, you know, as Alaska, um, we have amazing resources in regards to vaccination um, compared to most states. And uh, our per capita vaccination rates have been amongst the highest of any state. And we have between like military, VA, federal, and state resources, the Indian Health Service, you know, we just have a, a good amount of resources to vaccinate our community. And, you know, as Shannon was saying, I think there is significant concern uh, about emulating what's happened in Great Britain um, and having this this secondary uh, wave coming and Denmark and Israel and these types of things. Um, But if we as a community, which is where we're planted right now, if we as a community get to a higher vaccination rate, we are much less likely to have that happen locally. And so, again, not to not to sound like a broken record, but if if we get, the more people get vaccinated, the less likely an event like that is to happen. And so um, uh, that's that's what I would kind of take away from that. Um, I think there is a lot we don't know. Is it possible that these vaccination vaccines aren't going to be quite as effective against these variants? Probably. Most of the studies we see show that there is some effectiveness with these vaccines against these variants. But, you know those, those studies are ongoing and these variants are continuing to happen. So, um, you know, we can only control what we can control and what we can control at this time is getting as many people in our community vaccinated and that'll help prevent some of these, a big surge from a variant
1: in, in these communities where the variants starting to take over, are are they seeing increased deaths and increased hospitalizations?
3: There was one study from the UK that showed um, possibly up to 30% increased fatality rate. It's been around the longest in the UK. And, you know, it really takes time to see the full outcome of that strain. So in the US, we haven't seen anything, you know, yet, but it's spreading quickly.
1: Well, for the layperson, COVID is COVID, isn't it? Is it not? How can they call it COVID? And what would make a variant um more deadly than uh you know what than the run of the mill covid you know the the first six versions and now you have another version that's still called covid why does it have such traumatic effects on people <laughs>
0: I can I can take this and uh, I guess you guys can chime in. Um, So kind of what Dr. Jones was saying is that um, you know with with any infection uh, of virus uh, that virus can mutate and then uh, if we have immunity to the old mutation or the wild type mutation is as Dr. Jones said. um, Our body isn't quite as good at recognizing the mutation of it and so um that just makes it harder for our body to um to be able to recognize it and to be able to basically our immune system to attack it and what makes a specific virus more virulent or more uh you know the ability of it to transmit better i i think that's kind of a mystery to a certain extent uh i think that there's lots of probably microbiological things you could go into of what makes it that way but um but in general not every variant there's probably lots of variants that we have that aren't very dangerous and aren't very transmissible. Uh, the virus is not, it, it's basically trying to find every time it gets their infection and gets defeated, it's just trying to find a way out of it. And so it changes a little bit. And some of those changes, most of those changes probably aren't very effective, but uh, occasionally there are ones that that cause increased virulence or death um, or they're more transmissible. And so that's where we're getting this, this specific one out of the UK, you know, why it became so it became the dominant strain because it was so transmissible and and so um the nuances of that i'm probably not going to be the best of explaining but uh, that's kind of the broad picture
1: well if in the in the original version we anticipated one percent of the people who got it would die why is it that if it causes the same if if you get the same virus virtually why why would it increase the amount of people who die you know what i mean i mean how does it work in your body differently that makes it uh from go from 1% to 5% or whatever it it turns out to be
2: go ahead it's probably going back to that spike protein that we've talked about a little bit, that there's a a greater, it it grabs on the cells way better. So not only will, um, not only will it spread from person to person really well, it spreads to other cells throughout the body very well. And so you can have more widespread infection much faster with this new binding protein that occurs. Uh, And so I, I would, I don't know, but I would guess that you have a, a more widespread infection through the body more quickly because wh- what happens, your your body makes this virus. It hijacks your cells, makes this virus, the virus disseminates through the body and be- can become more widespread throughout the body. Uh, at one point, your body may have caught the infection when it was just in your lungs or maybe uh, when it gone to your lungs and heart, but now it might be gone to your lungs, heart, kidney and brain because it adheres really well to the cell walls and your body has a tough time uh, fighting it off in time. And so it gets more spread out through the body period.
3: One of, one of the other factors is the B one one seven. Um, they see higher viral load, which is why it's easier to transmit. So you're breathing more viral particles. Someone who's around you is gonna get a higher viral load to start with. And then also, that all, is also exactly what Dr. Jones said, kind of, you know, in your body, And so there's a lot more chances that virus can kind of invade cells and more systems. And the more it invades, the more your body has to mount an immune response. And that's, you know, sometimes an overactive immune response is what ends up killing people.
1: Well, it appears like the medical community has made significant inroads in treating COVID. There's, you know, it seems like you have a better arsenal available to you uh, that's Increase the survival rate and dealt with uh, the treatment of people who had the disease. But does the variant make it more difficult to treat people and with the you know that that toolbox that you have now? I mean, are the you know the monoclonal antibodies, the the different uh, the different things that sort of people kept springing out saying, okay, well we're, we're 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 getting better at preventing people from dying because we have these things available to us but now isn't the fear that those things aren't going to work as well because of the 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 way the variant is affecting the body so
2: the the ones that are from south africa and the ones that are from brazil are resistant to the antibody treatments uh we we do know that the the target that we have set up for the antibodies does not work as well with the South African and uh, Brazil one. It still seems to work fairly well with the British version, and so I, I think we're going to be adjusting our therapies as we go along uh, with this. Um, this this is we're we I'll be like Curtis and still be a broken record. The more people we get vaccinated the fewer chances we have of these variants occurring uh i don't want there to be a kodiak alaska variant because some people didn't want to get immunized and didn't want to be safe the more people get infected that's one more possibility of a variant that could kill hundreds if not thousands or hundreds of thousands of people and so uh, we're, we're trying to get this contained as quickly as possible and and the way you do that is make it so it can't spread and have new sources and possibilities where it can mutate.
1: Got a specific question. What effect does immunosuppressant drugs have on the effectiveness of the vaccine?
0: Well, um, I I actually spoke to an oncologist this week about this um, because I had a patient that was curious about this and is undergoing chemotherapy. Um, It's still recommended. Uh, for these patients. Um, It's, it's very possible that um, maybe the immune response uh, of the vaccine may be uh, not as great because they're on medicines that decrease their immune response, but um, it would still be recommended for these patients uh, because they are also some of the most at risk for getting very sick from COVID. And so, um, I think that, uh, it is true that they may not have as robust of immune response. They may not have as high of antibody levels, but some is better than none. And so um, the oncologists up in Anchorage are, are definitely giving me guidance towards getting these people vaccinated. And in fact, putting them at, at a, um, to uh, they're, they're ones that they would really want to be vaccinated
1: So, it, just for clarification, the people with pre-existing conditions or in these high-risk groups, uh, they're only eligible to get the vaccine now if they're fifty. Is that right? I mean, if you had a thirty-year-old that had uh, conditions that would make them, you know, make it more, uh, make them more at high risk if they got the, the deal, if they got the virus they're not eligible yet.
0: That's that's correct. By the statewide criteria, they're not eligible yet if they're under 50.
1: Got you. Um, Dr. Fauci this week mentioned that this um, this virus was going to be an endemic. And that leads me to the question of what the difference is between what we're experiencing now? Are we, are we in an epidemic, which is kind of the traditional, like, rampant outbreak? And what's the difference between an epidemic and a, a pandemic, and how does it become endemic? <laughs> you know, it, it, the cold is endemic, right? It's here everywhere, and it's never going away. The, does it mean that the COVID is never gonna go away?
3: Yeah, so epidemic is a new outbreak of disease. We kind of um, like Zika, Ebola, SARS, MERS that were kind of contained in a local area quickly enough so they didn't spread globally. The pandemic is you know, a global outbreak of, of a new disease. And then endemic means that that disease is around to stay year after year. So exactly, influenza is endemic. And every year we have new strains. People can get reaffected, They need to get, you know, the the vaccine that's um, kind of made for that season of the most common flu viruses.
1: So, in, in other words, what they're saying is that this is going to be in the world forever, in some some form. So we're we're never going to win the vaccine war against it.
0: Well, I mean, I think that there's a that's, that's a big, that's a big question. Um, but the, you know, the, one of the reasons why this has become uh, a pandemic, why it's become such a big um, thing is because there was no immunity to this virus. Um, like no one had ever had it before. It was, it was a significant change in a coronavirus of which there was no immunity throughout the entire world. And so, um, even though it appears that this is probably uh, COVID is probably here to stay, um, you know, with vaccines, with people having natural immunity to it, um, you know, over time, it's it's likely to become something like our our influenza or something of that sort. Right? I think it's difficult to predict that, but um, it doesn't appear to be that it's you know I, I don't think we're looking at being in this pandemic lockdown situation forever. It's just a matter of like, at, it's it's probably going to be COVID is probably going to be here to stay in one form or another, uh, for the foreseeable future.
1: So, smallpox we were able to eradicate, pretty much. But for the other, uh, very the other diseases that we. Um, we consistently get vaccinated against, so th- th- that means if this thing continues to mutate, we and we anticipate maybe being in a yearly vaccination like we are, were for, are for the flu.
3: Yeah, that is what scientists are looking at right now. Um, some some part of what's so hard about this particular SARS-CoV two virus is that it spreads when you don't have any symptoms. A lot of viruses um, are not really contagious until you know you're fully symptomatic with a fever and chills so you can isolate and you know prevent spreading to anybody else. And so unfortunately with this particular virus, um, it's hard to stop, it's hard to contain it. And and as more mutants develop, um, it can keep going around. I think what scientists think we're looking at now, things could change. I mean, if we really, you know, come up with a really strong vaccine or they're able to adjust the vaccine quickly enough and make sure that everyone's protected, um, potentially it could be better contained and, and die out. But it's, I'm, most scientists at this point are saying it's likely to become endemic.
1: So are there advancements being made in the one-stop testing, you know, or, you know, where the... Would this eventually be a kind of thing where you go in and you get a quick test that was available like a pregnancy test? Are we to that point yet where we we can develop that kind of thing where you can easily assess whether somebody has infected at the time or not?
2: I think we're already there. It's just a matter of getting the technology into the hands of people. I think there will be a time very soon where there's commercially available um, tests, and, and it'll be a little easier to identify people and hopefully isolate them. Um, the, the interesting thing in the U.S. is going to be tracking these variants a little more, which we don't at this point, to figure out how the variants are moving through the U.S. Uh, there's very, very limited testing on the variants, and that's probably something we should be paying closer attention to at this point.
1: Now, for for the people that do get vaccinated now, the the rules have been relaxed a little bit for quarantine purposes. Once you have your second vaccine vaccination and the two or three weeks has passed. Um, how, how does that affect, you know, our ability to return to normal? You know, how does vaccinating a large percentage of our population, does it does it? allow people to to freely try and return to normal or uh, with the restrictions on the potential transmission of it from even a vaccinated person make us uh, not even close to that yet
0: i can tell you that you know at the community health center i've been getting asked from my staff members weekly maybe daily uh since we've been getting vaccines like okay so does that mean we can you know loosen these travel restrictions that we have and you know quarantining things if you have a close contact and I think I think that is coming and I think you saw that last week with the CDC's announcement on this I think that um, it is going to allow us to loosen some of these things a little bit uh, as time goes on the fact is we're still you know doing studies on this vaccine um, it, it's very effective at keeping people from getting the virus but we don't know about transmitting it as much like there's, there's definitely some things that we um, some studies that still need to be had regarding um, its effectiveness in, in in these sorts of ways. But I definitely think that those um, recommendations are probably coming. And I think that for people that are vaccinated, you know, especially with the vaccine being shown to be so effective, um, I think specifically for those individuals, maybe there will be, there's definitely going to be some room for uh, making the rules on travel and on if you're a close contact and things like that, a little bit more, uh, less restrictive, I should say.
1: Well, do, does the existence of the variants though, and the continued mutation of the virus, you know, doesn't that, wouldn't it make you stop and think if you've had the second vaccine about whether or not, you know, you are free to go <laughs> sort of,
0: it, it definitely complicates things. Um, but I, I think that, like I said, it's, it's uh, most of the studies that I've seen, and, and, you know, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but uh, most of the studies I've seen is that the vaccines still have effectiveness, and actually pretty good effectiveness. It's not 95%, you know, but, um, but most of the vaccines that we've been, uh, that have been studied in variants, they still have pretty good effectiveness against these variants. So it's, it's, it's It does make the whole concept a little bit more complicated and messy, but um, the bottom line is it does seem like the vaccines still have significant degree of effectiveness even against these variants so far.
1: Let's talk about, you know, internally what you folks are doing to prepare for the effects of people who have had COVID and your long-term treatment of them, you know, wh- what do you what are you doing specifically for people who have already had the disease, you know, as, as far as recommendations for what they need to do to change the, you know, their their behavior, um, you know, how often they need to come into the doctor, what kind of things you're looking for, uh, so that their health down the road is not affected.
2: I know for a couple patients I've seen uh, on a regular basis, it it is a little discouraging um, because I I don't have answers for them. Uh, I have uh, a couple of patients who have been three months out from a positive COVID test are still very short of breath. Uh, still coughing up phlegm, um, uh, still have very low energy, uh, and I, I don't have answers for them. Um, Trying, I do tell people that in order to recover, your body does need to be stressed a little bit. So I still want, even you might though you might not feel like it, I feel like you still need to get out and exercise every day because if your lungs are never asked to do more, they may never have the urge to do more and heal themselves and the same with their heart and stuff like that. Um, but even that, I don't know if that advice is good advice or not good advice. It just makes sense to me, uh, that it would be a good thing to do. Um, I, I tell patients to continue to take an aspirin and continue to take vitamin D. Uh, but there's very little evidence that I can offer to them as to what we can do to improve their lung function uh, and how we can push them to getting back to their baseline again. It's the vast majority of people go through this and walk out the other side fine. The discouraging part is, is the people who I, who don't. And it's not only discouraging for them, but it's, it's a little discouraging for me because I always want to have something to put in front of them that I can say, well, we, we can do this or we can work on this. Uh, I, I don't have an answer right now at this point. Yeah, and I
0: think that this is an area of, you know, budding research as well about what these long-term effects are. Um, you know, I I, I have, um, in fact, I was just talking to Dr. Smith yesterday about this. I have two patients that are still on oxygen after having COVID in in December, and um, you know, they weren't on oxygen before, but they're still on oxygen, and this is two months, you know, after their infections and. Um, you know, that's really discouraging. And I I don't know, I I think that um, we've talked about this several times on the show is that we tend to like list like how severe this disease is based on its mortality rate. But the fact is, there's a lot of morbidity or there's a lot of uh, adverse effects that are long term um, and could be even permanent that come from it. And so um, uh, you know, we don't have necessarily all the information. I know that there's lots and lots of studies going on right now to kind of look at this um but um, the fact is it's it's not a benign disease just because it doesn't kill you um it it certainly has other effects that can be long lasting and even permanent
1: but is there anything that the person could do to improve their outlook if they've already had it It, other than what dr jones is recommending you know uh, take some supplements and some aspirin and keep exercising i mean are, are we you know are, are heart tests routinely now being recommended or uh, EKGs or, or something to kind of track um, development of symptoms as they move along so that you can step in with more preventative ma- measures before things get out of hand?
0: As, as far as I'm aware of, no. The, the one area where I have actually seen this um, change some some of my plans or uh, patients change plans, it's really not recommended that if you have an elective surgery, um, the uh, American College of Anesthesiology is kind of recommending a three month wait, if that's possible, before you get elective surgeries after having COVID. Um, I don't know that that's evidence-based or whether that's just their recommendation. I think it's more of just a recommendation based on, um, you know, what feeling people are more vulnerable during that time. You know, I I think that, uh, again, um, the thing that I would suggest to people that have had COVID to try and prevent future uh, complications would be to actually get the vaccine, uh, you know, to to make sure you don't get it again or a new variant again. Because if if you're weakened, you know, certainly within the three months of getting it, I would recommend that they get vaccinated so that they can not get it a second time. Um, And so that would be probably my one thing. But there's not really necessarily a whole lot of evidence for any particular, um, treatment or monitoring. I don't think after these patients have COVID other than disease specific. So if someone has COPD and they get it, then maybe they need to be amped up on their COPD meds to be able to function better. Um, because maybe the COVID, uh, causes their COPD to be worsened.
1: So is there, is there any group that is now, um, that, that you're still not recommending the vaccine for? The, the people that are eligible, are, are there specific groups of people that just shouldn't get it for some reason?
2: So people who've had severe anaphylactic reactions in the past, we've actually started recommending if it's not to the components of the vaccine, we still recommend they get the vaccine, but maybe be observed for a longer period of time in a controlled setting. Um, So if they do have a reaction, we're we're prepared to deal with it. We've seen anaphylactic reactions to this uh, vaccine before, uh, not in Kodiak, but other places. And usually it does mean that you get treated for 24 hours. uh, But I have not heard of any deaths in the U.S. from an anaphylactic reaction. I could be wrong on that, but I I have not heard of any uh, from that if people are observed these typically they're going to start occurring fairly early on Um, the only absolute contraindication is if you've had anaphylactic reaction to the components of the vaccine itself Um, and i actually do have one patient who has had that before and so we've recommended that she not get that vaccine at this point but there are different vaccines that are coming out in the future that are not that are have a different take on the on it that she may be able to get, and so those people could still get vaccinated with some of these new vaccines coming out soon.
1: So, pregnant women still are not eligible to get a vaccine.
3: They can get it, and it's the ACOG put out a statement recommending that um, they speak with their doctor. They they can get it, and I think the last I read. A few thousand pregnant women have gotten it so far, and of course they're tracking them closely and looking at their adverse event reporting, um, which I think has been minimal. And then this leads me to something else that I was reading, and I think it's really important. Um, you know, there's the the adverse event reporting system, and there's been 900 and I think 75 deaths as of yesterday following the COVID vaccine in 56 million people that have received it. You know, there was the news about the thrombocytopenia, which means low platelets, following the vaccine. And they're kind of looking if if this is associated or like caused by, I guess, the um, vaccine or just associated randomly. And um, one thing I really want to point out so people understand is that, you know, of the 29 million people that have gotten COVID, 500,000 now, half a million people have died from it. And the same thrombocytopenia complication after getting COVID, it occurs at a much higher rate in people who actually have the COVID infection versus those who have gotten the COVID vaccine. So um, I think there's a lot of kind of fear about some of the groups that are posting all these vaccine effects. But again, we've talked about this almost every episode. The COVID infection itself is much worse. And I just want people to, understand, you know, make sure that we've stated that and made that clear.
1: Okay, let's close with, uh, you know, we're we're into the vaccines enough now to where you've seen the results. Um, And and now a a large portion of our 65 population has gotten their second shots. Are there can you do you have antidotes about uh, whether that second vaccine is causing the severe problems for people? So far,
2: what I've been talking to people, it seems like uh, not not to discourage the younger people, it seems like the younger you are, the more of an immune reaction you have to this vaccine. A lot of my older patients were like, "Ah, I was nothing Uh, (laughs) when I got it. I'm 52 when I got it, I My arm hurt for a day after the first one and really didn't hurt as bad the second time. It hurt again, but not not really that badly. Some of my younger friends have developed low-grade fevers, didn't feel poorly, but had developed low-grade fevers. And so it's possible you may get a stronger immune reaction out of younger people and, and therefore may have more adverse effects in the younger population than in the older population. Uh, it doesn't mean you shouldn't get it. You're, you're going to make it. You're going to do fine through it. And uh, I still encourage people to get it, but I think they just have a more immune are more robust immune response.
1: Okay, vaccine clinics are coming up right and left. Check the state website to see whether you're eligible. It sounds like all of the clinics and the pharmacies in town have a, a lot of availability and a, a lot of vaccine available. So I guess the message for this week is if if you're in the eligibility criteria and you haven't got vaccinated yet this is a week for you to take advantage of it
0: go to uh again covidvax.alaska.gov that's spelled c-o-v-i-d-v-a-x.alaska.gov that will give you you can take an eligibility quiz you can look at the um different places in town where you can get the vaccine and you can call them up or schedule online um highly recommend everybody to check it out
1: and if if you're not in the eligibility criteria now you're still taking waitlist folks who are 40 and 30 and and want to get called if there's extra vaccine on a particular day right yeah it's definitely possible
2: to get sneak in at the end of the day and use up the last few vaccines that we pulled out of the freezer so (laughs) get signed up on the waitlist
1: well It's nice to be in warm, lovely Kodiak, Alaska today as opposed to some places down south, huh? Uh, (laughs) Thanks again. It was a fine discussion. Thanks for your time. Uh, You guys go outside and enjoy the sun if you can.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: All right. Have a good week. We'll talk to you next week.